Ronald Reagan told the story of a Texan visiting a farm up in Maine. The Texan asked this old farmer about his farm and what might be the extent of his spread. The old fellow said, well, it runs to that clump of trees and then over to that hill and then down to the creek and over to here. How big is your spread in Texas? And the Texan bragged, well, old timer, Sometimes I get in my car and drive for an hour and a half before I get to the boundary of my farm. And the old fellow from Maine looked at him for a minute and then said, I know what you mean, I had a car like that once too. (laughs) We're thinking about boundaries. Boundaries are important in real estate. They're important in parenting. They're really important in every single aspect of our lives. We proclaim God's boundless love, boundless love, but Jesus makes us question God's boundaries when it comes to mercy. Now Luke has told us the story of the prodigal son who squandered his inheritance He has told us the story of the shrewd manager who squandered his boss's property. And today, Luke introduces to us another squanderer. The Pharisees, who we're told were lovers of money, were ridiculing Jesus. And so he responds to their sneers with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We have two extremes before us, two polarities, the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor in one tableau. Have you been to a gated home or have you at least seen a gated home? Can you imagine yourself standing across the street from that home, looking across the gate and through the yard and into the dining room? where the dining room table is practically stacked with food and people are gathered around the table, they're laughing, they're eating, they're dropping food on the floor, the dogs are wagging their tails because they're getting all these snacks. Out in the street for you, the smells of roast beef and delicious soups are wafting over to you and your mouth begins to water as you then lower your gaze to the gate. The pleasure of the scene comes to a sudden halt when your eyes land on this pitiful man leaning against the gate. You see him, but do you really see him? Do you allow your eyes to remain on him or do you, perhaps like the rich man, avert them quickly to avoid judgment on him as well as judgment on yourself? We're not so far from the days when it was common belief that those who were rich were those who had been blessed by God You'll hear in the anthem the plea through the Psalms asking God to prosper our handiwork. And also Psalm 84 says, No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you hear that? 
sort of tit for tat in there. So if we do something for good, something good for God, then God is obligated to do something good for us. God must be like the elementary school teacher who rewards the children with good grades, or better yet, skittles. Conversely, those who were poor had misbehaved, and their poverty or their illness was a sign of God's disappointment, God's punishment. It is only fair, right? Alan Culpepper playfully notes the understanding of the public, a just God would not do otherwise. Why then? Would the rich man interrupt God's punishment on Lazarus by sharing his food and health care with the grotesque beggar? In the movie Avatar, director James Cameron carefully unrolls the viewer's understanding of what's happening alongside that of the main character, Jake Sully. As Jake spends time with the Navi people, he hears their greeting to each other, which is not, hey, which is not, hi, or howdy, or how you doing, but it's, I see you. As his relationships with those people deepen, he comprehends that to see means to see with more than the eyes. It's to see with the soul. It's to see with that which is deepest within us. Did the rich man see Lazarus? No. And because of this, the tables are turned. Both men die, though only one receives a burial. And Jesus imagines the afterlife for us. Now, this actually was a story that others were telling in the same same time Jesus was. He just puts his special spin on it. The one who, is poor, who was poorest is now the most comfortable. The one who was most comfortable is now in torment. Mercy has boundaries, it appears. It's as if God were merciful to the rich man on earth, but when the man refused to show mercy to another of God's children, he determined his own agony. Thursday night, our Commonwealth executed a woman who was convicted of masterminding two murders. Some pleaded for the governor and the Supreme Court to have mercy on her, but those in positions of power upheld the sentence. Mercy has boundaries. What about the mercy of Christ.
Time and again, we ask God for things. We ask for things as we pray here on Sundays and Wednesdays. We ask for God's help and hope in times of uncertainty and grief. We might even ask for God's help to win a ball game. We take God's Son as our example as we pray in these ways. The Gospels alone have dozens of references to prayer, some with Jesus praying, others with Jesus teaching us how to pray. We're always wanting more. It's been nearly 20 years since USA Today published a story called How Rich is Rich? And according to a survey of people who ought to know, the answer is, or was, $1 million to $5 million in assets. Investment managers Neuberger and Bergman sponsored this survey of people who stand to give or to receive inheritances. Paradoxically, 55% of those whose assets ranged from $1 million to $5 million did not consider themselves wealthy. We always want more. The rich man in Jesus' story wanted more. First, he wanted Lazarus to, well, he wanted Abraham, whom he called father, He wanted Abraham to send Lazarus to him with water to cool his tongue in the flames. When he learned about the new chasm that separated them, for remember, mercy has boundaries, the rich man begged Abraham to use Lazarus as the rich man's messenger boy. Okay, so if he can't cool my tongue... Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so they will not also come into this place of torment. Oh, he's finally thinking of someone else. And yet, he's still categorizing Lazarus as his messenger boy. Abraham counters that the rich man's five surviving brothers already have everything they need. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. But we always want more. We're in the same trap today. We're conditioned for ambition. Learn more. Practice harder. Work more hours. Go to a conference. Get a mentor. Toot your own horn. Invent a way to save your company money. Show your boss how talented you are. We feel pressure to do all these things because apparently we are never good enough. We must always be trying to improve because we're not good enough as we are. The story is told of a mother who sought the pardon of her son from Napoleon. The emperor said to her that it was his second offense and justice demanded his death. And his mother said, I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. The emperor said, but he does not deserve mercy. Sire, cried the mother, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. 
Well then, said the emperor, I will have mercy. And the emperor pardoned her son. When we think about mercy and God's mercy, none of us deserves it. We're never good enough to deserve God's mercy. We can't be. And yet, it awaits us. Usually, maybe always in Jesus' parables, we are invited to a spiritual audition for each part, each character. In this parable, can we place ourselves at the sumptuous dinner table feasting with friends and ignoring the people outside? Or can we place ourselves desperate and alone, begging others to be merciful to us whether or not we deserve it? Or if we're willing to release the starring roles and join the supporting cast, we won't find ourselves in the position of Abraham. (laughs) But we may find ourselves in the position the role of the five surviving brothers. They have the law and the prophets, Abraham says to the rich man. The law and the prophets are clear about not being hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. That's in Deuteronomy. From Isaiah, they are clear about loosing the bonds of injustice and letting the oppressed go free and sharing our bread with the hungry. Like those surviving brothers, we have the law and the prophets. Despite the fact that we always want more, we always want another sign, we always want more numbers in the church house, we always want more wisdom, more talent, We have everything we need. Can you believe that? Can you believe that you have everything you need? What if we were to see, not just with our eyes, but with our souls, that we are loved just as we are? What if we were to see that we don't have to improve for God to love us. You are good enough as you are. How does it feel to hear me say that, to hear God say that? You are good enough as you are. We all know we're not perfect and we'll never be perfect. But God did not call us to perfection. God called us to be who we are. We have unique strengths and unique weaknesses. And with those, God can use us. We don't need more knowledge or more experience or more money. We have everything we need to be used by God. Now, this parable, overall, we jump back to the beginning, we have a sense of urgency because the Lazaruses or the rich men with whom we come in contact, 
may not be at their places the next day. And so what can we do with knowing that we have everything we need? What can we do to offer what we have to others? If we have everything we need as individuals, we need to see that we also have that as a congregation. We have everything we need as a body of Christ. Now, we want more. It's in our nature. But let's not be fooled into believing that we need to add new members or we need to do further renovations to the building or that we need to be any different from who we are right now. That is a fallacy. If we think that we need something else for God to be able to use us, Calvary Baptist Church, that is a fallacy. We pray, we believe, and we make our imperfect selves completely available to God. And God will use us to do great things. Let's pray together. Lord our God, open our eyes that we may truly see. Help us to see our neighbors in need, but help us to see too that we have the need for your love and your grace and your mercy. We cannot earn your love. We cannot earn the love of the people around us. We are responsible only to be the people you call us to be. We do seek to improve, Lord God, we can't help that. There is a yearning within us to be more faithful, to be more talented, to be more helpful, to be more attentive, and yet we pray that even as we yearn that you will remind us whenever we need to be reminded that we have everything we need for you to use us wherever we are. Lord our God, we thank you for our forebears here at Calvary Baptist Church who have given us a legacy of faith who have created this building as a ministry center where you can be worshipped and served. And we pray for your guidance as we see that others will be standing on our shoulders in future generations. And so we do ask for your help, O oh God, to be faithful, to reconnect with our neighborhood to let your light shine through us whenever we're in lines, traffic, prayer. Teach us, O oh God, to be more like your Son. We thank you for his parable, even as challenging as it is. We thank you for helping us to remember your mercy 
and your love and our responsibility to respond to that. Lord, with with this paradox, we pray that you would uh, strengthen us and give us the courage again to see with Christ-like eyes what you set before us. As we pray for our church as a whole, we pray for individuals within and ask that you would offer your special presence and care to Larry Evans, to Dave Morse, to Jack Trent, to Becky Wirt, and to Linda Dwyer. We also invite you to be with others whose names we know, but don't mention aloud. Your comfort, O God, we crave. Your mercy, we crave. Help us to be merciful as you are merciful. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ.